Today's scripture is coming from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. It says, Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. Good morning. Thank you. What a joy and a pleasure it is to be with you guys this morning. My name is Herb Blomquist. Uh, a bunch of you kind of know all the connections. Coley is uh, my oldest daughter. Uh, Coley and John and Gavin and Dax. Where's Dax? I haven't seen Dax at all this morning. I should have gone to his Sunday school class. <laughs> Miss him. Uh, and then uh, our youngest daughter, Anna, is, is attending here as well. So uh, it is good to be with you guys. And I need to say thank you. Uh, most of you know that the last two years of my life have been, well, have been barely life. <laughs> Spent a lot of time in hospitals. And uh, uh, we were talking about in Sunday school this morning. Yeah, my my, I think I only died three times. I remember three times. My doctor said it was five, but, uh, but for, so for sure it was three. And a lot of people say, oh, man, that means you're like a cat. You got, you got four more lives left. And I go, yeah, well, you didn't know me in high school and college. I, I may, have used up a, may have used up a couple. Uh, but, uh, man, the prayers of you guys and many others... Uh, have been answered in spades. God is good. Uh, people like Nurse Meredith kept me alive and kept me going. And uh, uh, yeah, life is good. Uh, the, our most recent uh, uh, meeting with our doctor, he said, Herb, he said, I've got 800 pancreatic patients. This is a guy at the U of M that uh, doctors from all over the country come to learn from him because he invented a whole bunch of the stuff that he does. And uh, And he said, Herb, I got 800 pancreatic patients. Five of them got as bad as you. He said, three of them died. He said, I don't think the other guy's going to make it. He said, frankly, we don't know why you're alive. <laughs> so we get to keep telling them that, well, we know another physician. And uh, he's very amiable to that and says, yeah, yeah, all those prayers probably made a difference. So thank you. Thank you, thank you. But all of that means that I get to be with you this morning, and uh, it is a joy for me, and to give Patrick, uh, Patrick a day off. First Timothy. You guys have been in First Timothy for a while, uh, and I told uh, Patrick that, sure, I'll jump in and just do whatever's next in the series, so that next week he can correct everything that uh, I'll be sharing with you. Um, but it's a passage that begins a little strangely, doesn't it? Uh, Paul is writing to Timothy and he tells him, uh, I, I hope to be able to maybe come to you. That, that's my plan. Now, I don't want to build an entire doctrine uh, out of just that. And, and we have to be very careful of that or it could take us down some 
Well, it could take us down the path that the emergent church movement went, and uh, but it's still, it's a little bit more of an important uh, phrase than it sounds, I think. Paul is reminding us, reminding, you know, at least inferring, that yeah, make your plans. Yeah, that's good. You ought to have plans. Uh, Timothy, I plan on coming to you. But we'll see if that actually happens. Yes, make your plans, but don't assume that God has, what God has laid on your heart to accomplish is how he is going to accomplish it. I mean, God's going to do what God's going to do. And I've got to be open to him doing that in any, any way that he chooses. I will just be there to be part of that, uh, of that doing. We don't know if Paul ever made it back to Ephesus. There's a good chance he didn't. But he, uh, he said, Timothy, I plan on coming to you just in case I can't get there. Yeah, I'm going to drive the sound guys crazy with this thing. Just in case I don't get there. I'm going to write down some things for you. So, so that's how, how, how Paul uh, leads into this. He says, I'm writing so that you would know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church. Now, he's actually not going to give those specific instructions for another chapter, but he's going to give some foundation. I'm writing so that people will know how to conduct themselves in the household of God, which is the church. Now, I know, I know it goes without saying that he's not talking about the building. You all know that. He's talking about the people. But we do tend to fall in love with physical spaces, don't we? I mean, this church, you guys started, you know, meeting in homes, and then, and then you moved to the Ukrainian event center, and, and, and you loved that space. And now, now here you are in this space that, that you've got a lease on, and you've done so much work into here, and, and we can fall in love with those different places. Some of you loved the idea back at the Ukrainian event center of unpacking every Sunday and setting up and packing it all up. So I'm serious. I've talked to a couple of you that, yeah, you kind of liked that. You enjoyed those days. You enjoyed trying to make the Ukrainian event center not look like my big fat Greek wedding. <laughs> and, and, and now you're here, and you've put a lot of you know, blood, sweat, and tears into this place. You've, you've fallen in love with the awkwardly placed pillars and, uh, <laughs> and the rough floors. We, we tend to do that. It's easy for us to fall in love with a building. When, when I was growing up at uh, First Free, uh, First Evangelical Free Church in Minneapolis, just south of here, uh, boy, that was, a, that was a building that the old folks that I grew up with, they loved and they cherished. And there were things you could and couldn't do in that building as a kid. Well, or even as a church. I mean, no running. You cannot run. Do not run in church. And then we built a gymnasium. Ooh, how do you... Well, okay, okay, you can run in church as long as it's in that, that room, and we call it a, a, a multi-ministry center. <laughs> you couldn't go... Yeah, this is beyond the church. You couldn't go to a movie when I was a kid. That was pretty sinful. And for sure you couldn't show them in church. And, 
And then the Billy Graham Association came out with all sorts of movies. Oh, okay, we can show those in church as long as we call them a film instead of a movie. So there was all sorts of all sorts of things we grew up with and we fall in love with buildings and this is the way it has to be and oh my goodness, people change the buildings. Paul says he's writing so that people will know how to conduct themselves in the family. How do we work together as a family? Our conduct in this church of the living God is to be based on the truth that the Christ who existed in eternity past reduced himself to take on a human body and come here. And that is a precious and a sacred truth, mysterious and undeniable truth that we are called to live out in relationships. And then Paul, in verse 16, starts this old hymn. Uh, Apparently, it was a hymn they would have known, and and he shares a, a, a piece of it, Paul does a lot with music. I, I, I'm intrigued. by Paul is not my favorite character in Scripture. You know what? This church would probably fall in love with him because there are so many smart people in this church. I'm, I'm a camp director. I hang out with middle schoolers. But you guys, this is an impressive church. And Paul was one of the finest minds in the first century. He would have fit in great here. And yet, uh, he loves music. He, he uses hymns uh, uh, a lot. In, in Ephesians 5, he tells us to make music and sing to God. In Acts 16, when he and Silas are stuck in prison, beaten and shackled, and in the middle of the night, what's he doing? Singing. Boy, this is, this is being recorded, so i got to be careful here. But uh, my other son-in-law, not Coley's husband, uh, he's one of those really smart guys, too. He's, he's a pastor, and he's incredibly intelligent. And he loves to sing. No, I mean, that, that wasn't that John is not those things. But my other son-in-law is just as smart as John. (laughs) And he loves to sing. But isn't it true? He's he's a little tone deaf. (laughs) But he loves to sing. And I love to hear him sing because he loves it so much. And it's kind of funny. (laughs) And I just picture the Apostle Paul and Silas, you know, in prison, singing in the middle of the night. And the other... The other prisoners, is that singing or, or what? Is that... In Colossians 13, he says to admonish each other with songs and hymns. And in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, I will sing with my spirit and my mind. We're going to sing good theology. We're going to sing good things. And we're going to teach and admonish each other. And so Paul uses this old hymn. And it begins with uh, the chorus that Christ came in the flesh. That's incredibly important. Christ came here physically. And by the way, and this is going to be a a mind bender, by the way, he continues to be physical. 
Um, it's not that he took on this, this body like ours and, and then left it. No. He came and actually reduced himself to our bodies. Christ is more real than you and I could ever imagine. C.S. Lewis helps us out here a lot. Uh, There's a little book I recommend all the time called The Great Divorce. It's about a bunch of guys in hell that take a bus trip up to heaven. It's, It's fun. And when they get to heaven, hell is just dingy and dark. Well, sort of like Minnesota has been this last week. Just <laughs> foggy and gray. And, 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 and hell is hundreds of light years across because nobody can stand to live next to each other. And they all get in a bus and they go up to heaven. And it's beautiful. The colors are amazing. The grass, they're in the bus and they all take their, their shoes and socks off because they want to run out in this lush grass. And when they run out in the grass, it shreds their feet because the grass in heaven is more solid and more real than they were. They try to put their feet into the, into the water, in the creek, but they can't get their feet in because the water in heaven is more solid. Christ came in the flesh. That's important. It wasn't just this ethereal. It, it helps me understand so much more. Uh, the, after the crucifixion in the upper room, it says Jesus appeared. Remember the doors were locked and barred? And, 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 and as I, I remember as a kid thinking, oh, Jesus shows up in this ghostly body because he can come in through the walls. And C.S. Lewis says, no, 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 no. Jesus, in his glorified body, was more firm, more real, more solid than the walls. He could pass through them because they were the vapor, not him. Christ came in the flesh. He is real, more real. I hesitate to go too deeply into it, but... Uh, since we brought it up in Sunday school, having died a few times, people ask all the time, so did you see anything? The short answer is yes. And I can tell you this, the people in heaven are far more real and far more alive than you and I could ever imagine on this side of eternity. Christ came in the flesh. That's important. He was here physically. Uh, The hymn goes on uh, that Paul's quoting that says, He was vindicated by the Spirit. Along with the miracles and the healings, Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, was raised from the dead. He came in the flesh and he was vindicated by the Spirit in overcoming the death that you and I will succumb to. Do you need any more vindication than that? And that was because of the Holy Spirit. The hymn goes on. He was seen by the angels. And apparently, I'm, I'm, I'm not John or my other son-in-law, so I'm not this smart, but I read somewhere that it does, apparently the Greek infers that being uh, seen by the angels It's broader than that. It's being seen in the spiritual world, even the demonic world, uh, in his glorified body. That, ha, we killed him. He's done. We've won. And then he shows up and says, look. And all all of the demonic world and the angelic world saw and witnessed. Um... 
again, we were talking about in Sunday school, uh, you know, whenever Jesus encounters evil spirits, what do they do? They fall down and worship. They recognize him as the victor. You are, they say, the Holy One of God. Vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels. And then testified in the spiritual world and preached among the nations. Testified to in the physical realm as well, in the world that you and I live in. Or this quasi-physical world, not as real as eternity. Um, He was preached amongst the nations. The truth of Christ in the flesh is for all people to hear. Guess what? We have a Redeemer. And he's here. He came and dwelt among us. Oh, what an act of love. What an act of love. He was preached among the nations and was believed on. The truth of Christ is validated by those around the world who believe in him, have fallen in love with him. That's the proof. Uh, Chuck Colson, uh, back in the Watergate days, uh, Chuck Colson became a believer because of the failure of, of he and all of his cohorts to keep a secret. <laughs> Chuck Colson says, you know, there were, there were 11 of us who were all part of this whole charade thing. And once one of those threads got pulled, we all started throwing each other under the bus like crazy. Because we were not going to take the fall. We were not going to die for a lie. And he said, that's what convinced me that Christ is true, that Christ is real, because you've got these apostles who saw him, and all of them, all of them paid dearly for it, and not one of them said, wait a minute, we've been selling you a lie. This is not true. They all held it to be true. And he said, 12 or 11 of us in Watergate couldn't, couldn't keep a secret for three weeks. And these guys went to their graves knowing this to be true. Convinced of it. Um, he was believed on. And then taken up into glory. There is no other God above our God. There are lots of other gods. But there's no God like our God. He was taken up into glory. He is the God of all gods, the King of all kings. Now, that's a doctrine that's incredibly, this this truth of Christ having come in the flesh, being vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, taken up into glory, uh, preached around the world. That truth is incredibly important. And what it does for us is it it helps to weed out other extraneous things uh, that we like to argue over. Man, this is the way that you have to baptize. Really? Really? Is that what the truth of Jesus is all about? Now, those are important things, and we can argue which is more accurate and which is a better symbol. and which. But really? Is that the truth that we stand on? No, the truth that we stand on is that Christ came here 
among us. God came. It guards against prosperity gospel, doesn't it? Hey, if you follow Jesus, he wants you to be taken, well taken care of and healthy and wealthy. You just have to claim it. Really? Is that the truth that you want to hang on? Because there's a whole bunch of people that can attest that that doesn't work. No, we want to hang on to the core truth that Christ came in the flesh. It protects against drift, missional drift or theological drift. That You know, there's many ways to God. No, there's not. There's only one who was taken up into glory. There's only one who was vindicated by the Spirit. God came here. We didn't reach out to him like there's many ways to God. It protects against the danger of spiritualizing away our responses. How many times have you sat in a Sunday school class and there's been perhaps a command in there, something that we ought to do, and, and the cop-out that you've heard has been, well, you know, uh, we aren't all able to do that, so it's really what's important is the attitude of your heart. Yes, yes it is, but no. Christ came physically. We need to be about doing things, doing right things, doing good things. It's not just an attitude of your heart. It helps protect against that danger of falling into just spiritualizing things. Christ came in a material way, and we live and operate in a material world. What you do matters. And finally, I think it it simplifies evangelism, doesn't it? I was just with a... uh, uh, a group up in Brainerd that, uh, that uh, well, it, it, uh, they, they have a, a ministry to unwed mothers and they help, uh, uh, help mothers bring their, their child uh, to, to birth and, uh, and, and avoid abortion and, and, and all of that. Great, great ministry. And they said, would you come and help us learn how to tell people about the gospel? How to help them become Christians, and I love that, absolutely. We had two hours of just fun, but what we emphasized is that, guys, the gospel's pretty simple, and it's part of your everyday conversation. I don't have to preach it. In fact, it's probably better, more effective if you don't with the audience that you have coming to your ministry. It's simple. Hey, guys. Jesus came. We have a redeemer. And he came. Would you like to know him? Would you like to know who he is? I mean, I've got a nice, big, heavy Bible here that I can hit people pretty hard with. (laughs) But it probably wouldn't be all that effective because Romans 2.4 tells me it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Hey, guys. Jesus came. He reached out and he came here to you and me physically. Would you like to know him? Holding on to that sacred truth, I think, simplifies the gospel. Jesus came here. He understands you. He's experienced your world. And he died just like you're going to. But he didn't stay dead. 
And you don't have to either. (laughs) I can attest to that. (laughs) You don't have to either. Would you like to know this, Jesus? Um, So how do we as a body, how do we relate to each other with that information? Well, it emphasizes the incredible importance of this body, not this building, of this body, of this family. I got to see this firsthand a number of years ago, uh, uh, before I retired from Camp Shamanah and before all the COVID stuff. I was just talking with Michael about this. Uh, before all the COVID stuff, we did a thing called Shamanah International. We did English language camps all over the world. It was so much fun. And we did camps in China. Too long of a story for the whole thing, but in, in the, the Chinese government gave Camp Shamana 250 acres to build a Christian English language camp. I know, it's fantastic. We ran it for 10 years. We had about 1,000 kids a year in that camp uh, before the government changed, and now the government in China is, is not quite as flexible, and, and they took it all away. But... Um, <laughs> But for 10 years, we had all of those kids there. And, and before we got the camp built and we were there exploring stuff, I got to go to a Chinese church. Picture a room about two-thirds the size of this room and put 300 people in it. I mean, we were stacked. Most people were standing up, and because, oh, you're this guest of honor, you and the others traveling with us, you know, you got to sit on these benches in the front row, and I felt awful. I'm like, no, all these people standing, and they're all crowded in here. And during the service, it was, um, it was over Christmas. During the service, they're having this special Christmas service, but I'm sitting in the front, and behind me, actually, I'm sitting in the front because it was so crowded. You're right there. There's all this commotion and moving. And I remember leaning over to our interpreter. Her name was Lucy and saying, Lucy, what's going on? She she looks back and, and she whispers in my ear, oh, Herb, you don't understand. Look out the window. And there are hundreds more wanting to get in. And what those in the room were doing is taking turns. They had been in for for 10 minutes or so, and now they're going to go out so somebody else can come in and get in on 10 minutes of the Christmas service, and they're going to go out and somebody else will come in. And I thought, I am such a loser. I mean, how many times have you sat in church and said, boy, you know, these chairs aren't as comfortable as I remember them, or it's kind of hot, or that stupid pillar's right in the way. Fine, complain all you want. I don't care. Why don't you just get out of here if you want to complain because I can fit eight Chinese in your three chairs. Because they don't mind being packed. How do we respond with this truth that Christ came? How does that affect our relationships in the body? It means we love like he did. And you know what? If you need me to move so you can have 10 minutes of a service, I'll move. If, if, you need to, if I need to be a little uncomfortable, if I need to step out of my comfort zone a little bit for your benefit, man, I'll do that. I'll do that. Well, yeah, but 
my house isn't nice enough to have a group in and all that. Oh, for crying out loud, there are people that don't have houses that would be fine to be in yours. That's one of the things that we learned in China, too, after all those years. Just, yeah, you know, whatever you got. Even the airlines do that. Uh, we were getting on the airplane, and there's this jet, China Air jet, and there's duct tape all around the window of the, uh, the pilot's thing. Now, at that point, you've got a choice to make. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm way off base here, but... Uh, <laughs> I'm just remembering China, forgive me. Um, you, you can either decide, oh my word, these planes are held together with duct tape. Or you can say, you know what? Duct tape is so good, even the airlines use it. <laughs> and that's what we chose. <laughs> yeah, I know our building isn't what it should be, but the people are amazing. I know my home isn't what it should be, but to have people here in my home is so great. And we get to demonstrate for the world that Jesus came and he's still here. And it's in his body. It's in his family that you'll see him. And someday, maybe soon, someday, we will get to step into eternity where he is. And I so badly want you to come with me. Can I tell you about this Jesus that I know that has impacted this family? It's probably not a song that's on the tip of your, tip of your tongue singing about someone who came in the flesh. It mm, seems awkward. But it's our song, and it's a good song, and we need to be singing it and hanging on to it above every other thing that we like to argue with in church. And that's what we get to share. Jesus came. And I'd love to introduce you to him. Well, let me pray for us. And, uh, and we'll have the worship team come back up. Father, I thank you that the gospel is so, so simple. That you loved us and that you came to redeem us when we couldn't come to you. Father, I pray that we will be good stewards of showing our community around us of what the body of Christ looks like, of what this family looks like, and then inviting them into this family. Father, there is no other God but you. You are the one who was taken up into glory. And we so look forward to that day when we will be with you. In your most precious name, amen.